Well, he is risen. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so excited to be here with you. Uh, this, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm so excited to be here with you uh, this Sunday morning. I've been uh, looking at the passage all week, and I am legitimately stoked to preach the passage that we have for this morning, and I'm excited to share with you. I hope you're excited to be here. I, I hope you've enjoyed all that's gone on this morning. I, I know for me, it was exciting. The tomb may be empty, but the choir chairs were not. And so uh, we're excited to have the choir back, um, and it was a special day for me. Not only did we have the choir chairs back, but we had a new drummer up here that we're breaking in. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, little man, JJ, uh, when, when, Mike, when Mike informed me that he was going to be leaving and heading and we pray for him, we're excited for him, but when he informed me that he'd be moving on, I went home and I told JJ that day, I was like, buddy, you've got 30 days. You, you got 30 days and it's sink or swim time. And so we're, we're super proud of him jumping up here and being willing to play with us. And uh, good job, bud. We're very well done. Uh, so anyways, we are excited. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time as we turn our attention now to the Word of God, shall we? Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you for the great love with which you have loved us and with which you continually love us. I thank you for the salvation that you make available to us free of charge on our part. But Lord, understanding the great, great cost that you paid for us on our behalf on Calvary. And Lord, as we come this morning and as we look at your word and as we consider your truth, Lord, I pray that our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds would be open to the truth that you have for us. Lord, that, that you would challenge us where necessary, you would encourage us where needed, and you would inspire us to follow you on the road of righteousness that you have laid before us, that we might be your witnesses God, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there, there can be no more fulfilling phrase to utter in the English vernacular than this. I told you so. I told you so. I know that we like to feign that we, you know, even when we don't say it, we say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. But you know. I told you so, right? Is there anything better than the vindication that comes with being able to say, I told you so, which clearly indicates that you were right and they were wrong. Maybe that's just me. I, I am competitive to my core. Uh, those that go to the church know I can't, I can't play Monopoly without like, that being a life or death. We don't play Monopoly in our family for that very reason. That, so the, the whole idea of, I, I told you so, like that... That is in my core, I feel that. And, and I, I've been thinking all week about this, this sermon and this passage, and I, I kind of went back and forth be, between John and Matthew and Luke and, and where I wanted to, to be. But, but we know that the quintessential passage for Easter that we think of is the one, I believe it's in Matthew, where it says, He is risen just as He said. He is risen just as He said. And so I was focusing on that for a while and then I, I kind of came back from that, and I was looking at Luke, and I realized that the entirety of chapter 24 in Luke is Jesus, the good Lord God Almighty, saying to his followers and saying to us this morning, I told you so. I told you so. That is actually, in fact, the title of this morning's message. I told you so. 
And this morning, I want us to remember that Christ has told us the empty tomb should not be a surprise to us. He said it. It's exactly what he said he was going to do. And I want to look through this text in Luke chapter 24 and see all the ways that Jesus reminds us of exactly what he said. So if you will, look at me now at Luke chapter 24. It says this, On the first day of the week, on Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He, he is not here. He has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering into himself what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, 
and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and at once they returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two were told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You have three scenes here. We have three scenes here where Jesus uh, appears or, or angels appear at different times. And all three times, someone says some version of the phrase, he told you so. I told you so. And what's amazing is is that they continue to disbelieve as things go on. But this is something that we need to understand as we consider the Gospels, as we consider our own lives, as we consider the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Death was not Jesus' final destination. Death was never Jesus' final destination. It was simply a pit stop along the way. death death was a pass-through in order for him to prove and validate that he was who he said he was, that he could do what he said that he would do. A friend of mine and I were actually talking about this this week, and and he he is preaching at another church today, and and he was talking about, you know, how do I talk about this time-wise, you know, because the, the resurrection of Jesus is what reminds us and convinces us that we too will, be, will arise from the grave, right? And Paul tells us that. Paul tells us that if Jesus has risen, that we too will rise because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us as well. That's good news. But what about Lazarus? What about all of those that Jesus raised from the dead? You can't say that Jesus' resurrection is the key to the other resurrections because they were raised first, at least in a temporal time sense, right? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't have to raise before he he had them raised from the grave. Because what Jesus' resurrection did was validate that those resurrections, though temporary, ultimately pointed to a future resurrection that was permanent. Jesus is a funeral wrecker. 
Jesus ruins everybody's funerals. We come in and we mourn and we're sad and that's good and fine on this side of heaven. But we need to remember that if the person believes they are only dead for but a moment, they are coming back. And in fact, they are more alive in this moment than you or I are. Jesus ruins funerals. But make no mistake this morning. Jesus' followers believed with 100% confidence and certainty that Jesus was dead and all was lost. They believed with 100% certainty Jesus was dead and all was lost. They watched it happen. They watched him suffer. They watched him bleed. They watched him beaten. They watched his body placed in the grave. They saw it. Jesus was dead. The mission was over. All was lost. And we see this from the outset of this text. If we look back in verse 55, we see that the women, uh, these women didn't just all of a sudden go and buy spices. They'd been preparing them. These women prepared the, these spices. It says they went home in verse 56. They went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath day in obedience to the command. So, so Jesus dies on Friday, right? And then the women spend the, the remainder of their day that they prepare the, the spices in, in Luke, because Jesus is dead so that they are ready when Sunday comes to go prepare the body. You don't spend time preparing and mixing spices and putting things together and getting the claws already if you aren't certain that you're going to have a job to do when you show up at the tomb. They were absolutely confident that Jesus was dead. The truth of Jesus' teaching the hope in his healing hands, the power and potential of all the plans of God that were placed into him, all the plans of God that were put into motion were now nothing but a distant memory for these women and the disciples of Jesus in the dark shadows of the horrors of the cross. Game over. You know, it made me think of the reality of what crucifixion was for. Have you ever heard the phrase, you only have to kill one? You ever heard that phrase? You, you, you only have to kill one. You know, I used to use it a lot in youth ministry. I, I, I learned pretty early that, that students would get rambunctious and unruly, but that if I made one student cry towards the beginning of the trip, all the rest of the students would fall into place. <laughs> it was a true story. Like, and I would be watching on the bus as we were making our way. It's like, who is my target this time? It's you, you know? And make no mistake, they earned it, right? I wouldn't just, I wouldn't just come up hot. I, they would earn it. But if I made one cry, the rest would fall into line. We see that to be true in a lot of things. Do you guys remember, do you all remember in, in October of 1993, an 18-year-old American boy was arrested in Singapore for stealing street signs and vandalizing at least 18 cars over a 10-day period? Anyone remember this? It was, it was national news, and the American cold public was going crazy because this young man admitted to committing these crimes, and the nation of Singapore is not one to be trifled with. They punish crimes swiftly and severely. The American government did step in, though, and got him a lesson seven, sentence, and this young man was sentenced to four strokes with a bamboo cane. He got caned. And they, in, a, in true American fashion, we televised that mess, right? You could watch this, this poor boy getting 
poor boy, he earned it, but you could watch him getting hit with these canes. You know what happened in America, not just in Singapore, you know what happened in America following this boy being caned in Singapore? Crime among 14 to 21-year-olds about disappeared for a three-month period. You know why? Because every parent in America was saying, hey, we're going to have to bring that over here. You only have to kill one, and the rest will fall into line. You realize that that was the point of crucifixion, right? The point of crucifixion was not just to punish the guilty. The point of crucifixion was to stop all of their followers and to snuff out any remnants of what they were about and what they were doing. That was the point of crucifixion. It was meant to scare everyone straight through a thoroughly and publicly humiliating death. It silenced rebel rousers and would-be revolutionaries. It was meant to disperse and discourage any followers from continuing in the path that the condemned had laid out. It was extremely violent and exceptionally effective. And we see that in this text. Because the disciples have dispersed and they are hiding for their lives because they believe that they could be next. As Jesus himself had said from the cross, it was finished. So as these women are making their way to the tomb that morning, we actually know from another passage that they are actually wondering on their way, how are we going to move the stone? When we get there, how are we going to move this heavy stone so we can get in to prepare the body? What are we going to do? And they get to the tomb in our text, and it tells us that not only did they find the stone already rolled away, but they found the tomb empty, Jesus gone. Verse 2, it tells us that they were deeply concerned and thoroughly confused by what they found at the tomb of Jesus. They're, they're wondering that this is what has happened. This is, this is I want you to notice this. And, and this is going to be a theme we're going to come back to over and over again. We come in this morning, and we are stoked, and we're pumped, and we wear our bright colors, and we're like, he is risen! He is risen indeed! And we're like, resurrection! Yes! But notice that the women show up to the tomb, and everyone that hears about the, the resurrection of Jesus, that everyone that hears that the body is gone, not one of them says, "Woo, we won. Everyone says, are you kidding me? You're going to add this insult to injury? Resurrection is not their first thought. As a matter of fact, the, the, the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 11 through 13, tell us that they believe that someone had come and stolen the body of Jesus in the middle of the night. One final indignity to discourage his disciples. And as they are standing there wondering what in the world has happened and what are they going to do, it says that two men show up in clothes like lightning. These are angels. Let's disambiguate this, right? The angels show up on the scene and they provide a testimony of what's happened. And I, when, when I read this verse, now this is just my personal opinion. You can read it with whatever tone you want to. But I like to read this verse with an air of sarcastic confusion. If I might paraphrase, 
Um, what are you doing? What did you think you were going to find here? Why do you look for the living among the dead? What was briefly an empty shell of a man had risen as the very embodiment of eternal life. And the angels are announcing this good news of great joy, if we might borrow the phrase from Christmas, that Christ had risen from the... He's not here because this is where dead people stay, and he's gone because he's not dead, he's alive. And then they tell him this in verse 6. Remember how he told you. He told you so! He told you so. Not, not a question, right? Like that remember is not, is not a question. That is a declaration. It's not, don't you remember? It's remember. Remember. He told you while you were still in Galilee. He told you this is exactly what he said would happen. And in fact, we talked about this last week. Jesus hadn't just told them once, but at least three times in clear and unambiguous language that exactly what had happened would happen. Right? Three times Jesus says, hey, son of man's going to be turned over. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. But don't worry. He doesn't stay dead. Three days later, he's going to rise. He would rise on the third day, verse 7 breaks it out. The, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I've talked about this before, but in my office I have a little slip of paper. It's about an inch and a half tall and about five inches wide. And on it it says, don't forget in the darkness what God told you in the light. Don't forget in the darkness what God told you in the light. But we do, don't we? We do. The light goes out and we forget everything that we've seen. We lose our senses. When we turn off one of our senses, all the other senses kind of go crazy. And we forget what we knew before the lights went out. It's a reminder we need early and often. Because when it goes dark, we struggle to remember that the light still exists. We see demons in the dark, both real and imagined. And we begin to believe that's all there is. And we wonder if all is lost. When the lights, when it goes dim and we are in the shadows of suffering, we struggle to believe it will ever be good again. We struggle to remember that Christ has made a way for redemption. We struggle to believe that there is power to, to bring us back from the dead. But remember, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He is risen, just as he said. We still have hope. The question that we have to ask ourselves, because we see here in verses 9 through 11 that these women go back and they tell the disciples exactly what had happened. And it says that, that they didn't believe them because their words seemed like nonsense to them. Resurrection seems like nonsense, does it not? Seriously, 
Can we be real with one another? Resurrection. Any, any of you all seen someone that was dead for three days come walking out of the tomb? I haven't seen that. And in our human, in our human rationality, it seems unlikely and impossible. And it tells us that even the disciples who had seen Jesus, had seen the miracles, had actually seen Jesus raise people from the dead, are looking at these women like, y'all crazy. You've been inhaling those fumes from the perfume a little bit too much today. We need to back off from that. They insist that they're crazy. Do not believe them. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do we trust Jesus more than the world? Do we trust Jesus more than our own senses and our own understanding? Do we trust Jesus more than our own experiences in the moment? That's faith. This may not make sense to me. This may be beyond what I've experienced or what I understand. But Jesus, if you said it, I'm going to trust it. Death was not Jesus' final destination. But not only that, suffering was always going to be the path to salvation. Suffering was the path to salvation. This didn't line up with the disciples' mental model. It, it, we know that to be, it, it didn't line up with anyone's mental model. Like for them, victory was going to come through force of will, through power, and they were all ready to go in and tear down the establishment, and they were all going to win, and this, it was going to be this amazing victory with no loss. And Jesus continually told them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer. Oh, and by the way, you're going to suffer too. And you go back beyond the words of Jesus. And look in the Old Testament. The Messiah was always going to suffer. We need to understand something this morning. If our understanding is out of sync with what Jesus says or does, it is not he who is uninformed and incorrect. I love this. I have never noticed this until this week. This is the funniest passage in the Bible for me. And I'm going to tell you why. Because here we have two men walking to a village, struggling with the suffering and the sorrow that they've just seen. They've just witnessed and experienced this horrifying thing. And, and while not part of the 11, the text does indicate that they were two of them. That, that wording indicates that they were in fact disciples of Jesus. Verse 17 tells us that they are downcast, they are depressed, they are disappointed, they are discouraged. Things didn't go according to plan. So now, what is happening in this text is they're going home. They're going back to the real world. Isn't that what Peter did? Peter, we, we find Peter after the resurrection, Peter's out fishing. He's like, I'm not qualified. This thing ain't working for me. I'm going fishing, right? When, when things don't work out, that's what disciples do. They go back to do what they did. And so these disciples are making their way home. Jesus joins them on the way and says, hey, fellas, what's going on? And they say to Jesus, Cleo, Cleopas, which is great because, like, his name lives in infamy and shame. Because Cleopas says to him, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what just happened? Now think about that for a second. The guy just asked Jesus, 
if he's the only ignorant fool that doesn't know what just happened to Jesus? Oh, no, I'm well aware of what just happened, buddy. <laughs> I assure you I know all the details of what just happened. Are you the only ignorant fool that doesn't know what's just happened? Are you the only one that hasn't heard? Are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? But the, it doesn't stop there, folks. Like, one foot in the mouth wasn't enough. Because what does he go on to do? He goes on to tell Jesus why Jesus is a disappointment. Read the text again. It says, he just says, Jesus plays along. What could you ever be talking about? He says, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We, we hoped that he was going to do these good things, but we were wrong. We thought he was a powerful man and a great teacher and he did some good things, but he wasn't that great. He wasn't who we thought he was. Can you imagine that? Like, I just, I, jumping ahead to the end where they finally realized it was Jesus, did Cleopas go, oh. You know, and when Jesus was talking to the disciples, like, you got to wonder, did Jesus say, hey, Cleopas, you want to tell guys what you think? Like, they're pretty ignorant of what's going on, too. You want to explain to them what happened to your Savior? You want to tell them about how all your hopes didn't come true, Cleopas? They had hoped in Jesus, but hope had been extinguished by the shadow of the cross and in light of the empty tomb. Because they don't just stop with saying, he was crucified and he was killed. We had hoped he was doing this. He was crucified and killed. But they go on and they say, and his body's been stolen. His tomb is empty. Again, insult added to injury. There is no part in the mind of these disciples that think, he rose from the grave. They think, they stole his body. We can't even honor him appropriately. As funny as it may seem to our ears this morning, again, they saw the empty tomb as the final indignity and ultimate defeat. It wasn't something to be celebrated. And here's the truth for us this morning that we need to understand in this text. These disciples had all of the right information. All of the right information, but drew all the wrong conclusions. It was not they who, it was not Jesus who was the fool, but they themselves who were the fools. And Jesus told them so. Look at verse 25. What does Jesus say? How foolish you are. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Jesus takes the Bible and he explains to them. He takes the Old Testament, takes the, the, the Hebrew scriptures and explains to them exactly what he had been explaining to them through his entire life. Jesus had told them so, as had the prophets of old. This wasn't a secret. 
This was the story Jesus had been telling. But their perspective was off from the start, as is ours at times. We like to think of salvation as being this, this thing that ends our suffering. We like to think of salvation as being the thing that makes things better. And in some ways, in fact, it does. But suffering throughout the scripture is the means through which salvation had been secured and shared. Jesus knew that was going to be the case. That we need to understand something. That salvation does not necessarily equal an end to suffering. You know what salvation does? Salvation gives it purpose. Salvation gives it meaning. Salvation allows us to, to, to not suffer in vain without any end game in mind, without anything being accomplished. The, the suffering of Christ was necessary and effective. But understand this, not only did Jesus give his life as a ransom for many, he expected his disciples to do the same. Brothers and sisters, it is not God's job to adapt and adjust to the, the outworking of his plan to meet our understanding and expectations. It is our job to observe and understand the execution of God's plan and to live in to his expectations. It is us that needs to change. If someone is a fool between us and Jesus, it is us. If someone is ignorant between us and Jesus, it is us. If someone is failing to understand and to live out the right expectations, it is not Jesus, it is us. We need to understand that sometimes what feels like the final nail in the coffin is actually the moment when God is breaking in with new life and fresh hope. Listen to me, folks. God is in the business of bringing life from death. God is in the business of bringing life from death. And yes, this morning we celebrate that that is actually a physical reality. That one day we will die, but Christ will come again and we will rise alive again. And alive forevermore. But understand this, that we experience pieces of death in our lives on the daily, do we not? We have, we have moments where death is manifest in our actions, in our understandings, in our interactions with one another. And we begin to lose hope as that, that shadow, the valley of the shadow of death becomes very real to us. But here's the thing, that Christ is still in the business of rescuing the dead and bringing the dead to life. There is a spiritual and metaphysical reality where God will take and redeem the, these, these difficult Moments of destruction and death, the darkness in your life, God will bring the light back and will renew your hope. The question for us today is this, have we heard him? Do we understand him and do we believe him? He told you so. But it doesn't stop there. What we've experienced, we must share. 
What we've experienced, we must share. Jesus continually provides more than enough evidence to prove who he is and his ability to do what he said, both in the text today, but also in our lives. The empty tomb, contrary to the belief of the disciples at the moment, is not evidence of Christ's failure to fulfill our hopes, but irrefutable proof that he is much more than just a powerful prophet or a good teacher. Brothers and sisters, he is God with us, he is God for us. We have to be careful not to let our brains explain away what our hearts believe and what our lives have experienced. Verse 36 through 41, we see that the disciples are, that Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. And ironically, Jesus shows up and, and says, have some peace. And they have anything but peace in that moment. And in verse 40, in 41, it says this. Jesus shows them the hands and the feet, invites them to touch him. And it says in verse 40, when he had shared this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe and, and they, while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have any fish here to eat? They see him. They can touch him. And still they look at it and they're like, no. <laughs> it's too good to be true. No. And we do the same thing. There are times I would argue that we, we reject the grace of God because we're like, that may be true for someone else, but that's too good for me. God, Jesus died for them, but not for me. Jesus may be able to raise someone else, but I, I've gone too far. I've done too much. And it's not for me. It's too good to be true. And here you have Jesus' disciples. The, yes, the ones that were closer, closest to him, but, but are they also not the ones who abandoned him in his moment of need? Are they not the ones who have misunderstood him over and over and over again? Are they not the ones who have wandered away? But still, Jesus is coming to them and calling them back to himself. God's power and presence defies logic. God's power and presence can be difficult to perceive and receive at times. God's power and presence often seems too good to be true. But verse 44, Jesus comes back to him again. He says, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, one more time, Jesus says, I told you so. I told you so. We need to remember. He told us so. The light of life still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. He told us so. We need to remember. We need to know and trust what his word says. We need to understand that our experiences shouldn't be doubted, but our experience should serve as evidence of God's continued work. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What Jesus does in and through us is evidence of his resurrection power and his continued existence. We are his body. And we are his witnesses. This is a subtle theme that is present here at the end of Acts. That you are going to be my witnesses. But you know what? Luke actually wrote a second book. <laughs> 
And if you go to the book of Luke, or you go to the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, in the book of Acts, the, the disciples over and over and over again are being witnesses. And they profess and confess over and over and over again that we are his witnesses. We are to be his witnesses. And that legacy that we see in Acts in the beginning of the church has carried on to us today. If you are in this room and you are a believer in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is raised from the dead, you have been raised to new life and new purpose. And you are his witnesses. Again, that theme goes throughout this chapter. Two witnesses was the minimum necessary to validate a claim or testimony in the first century. Two witnesses. It was true in the law of God. It was also true in the Roman courts. I want you to notice what we see in every scene that happens in this text. There are at least two witnesses in every case. Verse 4. How many angels appear at the tomb to testify that Christ had risen? How many women went back to the eleven to testify that Christ was not in the tomb, that the angels said he had risen? Three. How many disciples are, are talking and, as they're walking along the road and then go back to the eleven? Two. And then you have all of them in the room with Jesus in verse 48. When Jesus says, you are witnesses. I got a text this morning from Steve Green over at the point, And Steve Green uh, pointed out that the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is the most well-documented event in history. And it's true. It is the most well-documented ancient event in, in, in antiquity. There's, there's all kinds of evidence. You only need two witnesses, and we have hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts. And we have thousands and thousands of followers that are testifying to it. And in this room, we have more than enough witnesses to testify to make a difference in our communi community. We are his witnesses. He is risen. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that the empty tomb is the source of ultimate hope? Do we believe that Christ rose from the grave bodily and that he is living and coming again for his own? I believe that. That's exciting news. And I believe it because he told me so. And he continually tells me so in his word. All of them became witnessing, witnesses. Listen, doubting, undeserving men and women were restored and repurposed in the power and the light of the empty tomb. That means that Jesus can use you. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've experienced, you are his witnesses, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life today. His free gift of salvation is available to you, and, and he wants to raise you to new life today for his purposes. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, it tells us this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That calling has been passed to us this morning, that we would be witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Beloved, death does not get the final word. He told us so. And we, like Christ, 
and like his original disciples, have been raised to new life and filled with his spirit that we might be his witnesses, just as he said. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And may we live in the new life that he has provided both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that though you suffered unspeakable indignities, though you died a terrible death, that you have come back to life, and that as you have come, you have offered us new life as well. You have come that we might be raised to life, that we might live new lives. And Lord, though we may stumble and be confronted by death, Time and time again, though we may fail you, though we may fall away, Lord, we believe that it is your purpose to continue to bring light into our lives to drive out the darkness. Lord, may we rest in that hope today. May we find assurance in the reality of the empty tomb. May we understand that our suffering, though it feels senseless at the moment, need not remain as such, that you have purpose and you have plans for our lives, that you make what we experience matter. May we lean into the truth of who you are. May we not be ignorant this morning. May we accept your grace and salvation today. And may we live in the resurrection life that you provided. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.